This message by Bill Kittrell was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Bill serves as a senior pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. Please turn in your Bibles with me to <clears throat> Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Today is our last message from our series on this wonderful letter, the Apostle Paul's letter to the Philippians. Next Sunday, we'll focus on Palm Sunday. Easter Sunday, we will return to Philippians to look at the great Christ hymn in chapter 2 that's central to the letter and enjoy celebrating Christ's resurrection from Philippians. But this is our last message, and Paul closes the letter in a powerful way that I think, by the grace of God, will, will serve us well this morning. Father, I do pray this is your word. It is for us. It has authority in our lives. I, I pray this morning that you would accomplish all your good purposes through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Philippians chapter 4, we'll begin reading verse 14. Through the end of the letter, Paul begins yet because he's transitioning from the text we look at last week. It was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians, yourselves, know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. A fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit.
Membership in a church is a gospel partnership. It's my first point. It's the main point of the sermon. It's, it's one of the key points of the whole letter. Membership in a local church is a gospel partnership. I, I think this letter calls us to glorify God through gospel partnership in our church. Glorify God through gospel partnership in our church. Paul says in verse 14, it was kind of you to, note this word, share my trouble. In this verse, Paul transitions from his discussion about contentment and returns to one of the most important themes in the letter, partnership, sharing. They share his troubles. Literally, he is saying, you did well. It was, it was beautiful. It was excellent. It was kind of you. It's your calling. There's so much there. It was kind of you to share my trouble. And in this whole text, he is commending the Philippians. He is holding them up as an example for their faithful, for their sacrificial partnership in the gospel with him many times over many years. They share with Paul the Great Commission. They want to advance the gospel. They're all in. They share his trouble. They are partners. We've seen it, seen it throughout the, the letter from the very beginning. In chapter 1, if you want to flip over there, remember these verses. Philippians 1, verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. He's in prison. He's in chains. He's praying for them. I just thank God for you. Verse 5. Why? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Verse 7, it's right for me to feel this way about you all. It's right for me to be grateful to God. That's the highest expression of affection you can give someone. It's right for me to be thankful to God for you because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace. He holds them in his heart. He'd never forget the partnership he had with the Philippians. It was, it was demonstrated in so many different ways. He, they shared his troubles. They sent Epaphroditus, who almost died in the process, but he came and he brought some sort of gift to him in prison and chains. It was just another expression of their partnership. He was content without their support, but he assures them that their support of him in his troubles ministered to his soul. His, his focus is more on their relationship, their love, than the support that they sent. They're, they're partners with him in God's grace. They're brothers and sisters in Christ. He holds them in his heart. Back in chapter 4 and verse 15, you you Philippians yourselves, you know this. You know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, the region Philippi was in, no church 
entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only from the first day, from the beginning of the gospel, they were partners. They were eager. The gospel has been much on Paul's mind throughout this letter. Again, we've seen this again and again. The gospel, the good news about Christ and him crucified and raised from the dead. He's thinking now about when he first came to Philippi, about 10 years before the time of this letter, when the gospel first arrived in, in Europe. We talked all about it when we started our series. He's thinking about when the gospel first came and their partnership. It was a unique church. It's being held up to us, not only by the Apostle Paul, but I think by the Lord as an example. We want to be this kind of church. It was unique among the churches that Paul himself planted. From the first day, they, they partnered with him. They tracked his journeys. They participated. They prayed for him. And they gave. When he le first left Philippi, he went to Thessalonica. He was only there a short time. If you read the book of Acts, somehow they figured out what he needed and they sent gifts more than once. In this letter, he, he talks about all the things they shared, the spirit, the sufferings of Christ, his trouble. They're on his team. There's a camaraderie here. They have a common purpose. They have a gospel partnership. And we're called to that. And Paul is ending this letter by bringing their focus back again to their relationship, to the importance of what God has done in their life. They're participants in the benefits of the gospel and their life together is a partnership that advances the gospel. Share that word in verse 14, it belongs to a, a family of words that one commentator said it wraps its arms around the entire letter. Share, participate, partnership, fellowship, unity of purpose, participating together. This is... A main theme in the letter, and it's the main point today. Paul, no wonder he holds them in his heart. We should, we should hold each other in our hearts. Thanks for your, your prayers this week. The pastoral team, as couples went away to focus on our marriage and pray for one another, I think it was wonderful together as a team, and I think, I hope, served the couples in their marriage. On the way out of town, we took the scenic route because of uh, traffic on the interstate and came into North Knoxville a different way. And we drove by a neighborhood where Sherry and I lived at one point with Joe and Janet Holbrook back in 1981, exactly 100 years ago today. <laughs> Sherry and I had been married a little over a year when we moved in with the Holbrooks. Joe, Joe and Janet had first met us just a few months before that, and they invested in us from the moment we met them. They were devoted Christians. They were committed to advancing the gospel. 
And as we later went on to enter ministry and start this church, they were our partners and they remain partners today. And it's a very special joy to have served the Lord together with them for decades. What sticks out the most in my mind when I think of Joe is his goofy sense of humor, which I get to enjoy on my birthday every year. I get a birthday card from Joe, and he works very hard to get the stupidest birthday card he can find. (laughs) Here's one I got. I think I have a picture of it for you. I got last year. If you laugh at him, you're going to encourage him. He's not going to go away if you laugh at these jokes. The inside is even better. Have your selfie a happy birthday. And Joe also writes, Thanks for speaking the truth. Declaring the gospel and explaining the scriptures. Thanks for bringing down thoughts that exalt themselves against the knowledge of the truth. And this was the worst birthday I had ever had in my life last year. And Janet included in the card a quote from Sinclair Ferguson. True contentment means embracing the Lord's will in every aspect of his providence. Simply because it's his providence. Joe and Janet are partners. I hold them in my heart. I think they hold me in their heart. We've shared troubles together. And we've tried to advance the gospel. For all of us, all the new members... And all the old members, I believe we're, we're called to this kind of gospel partnership. It's a gift from God. If you look in verse 21, Paul says the brothers, and, and, and the word includes sisters, the brothers and sisters who are with me greet you. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are family. That's why we have a members family night. And side note, these are not unimportant meetings. They're, they're fun, but they're not unimportant. So let's look at this text and talk about a gospel partnership. As he closes this letter, Paul uses business language from the first century to say that their partnership, the Philippians' partnership with him in Christ, has found expression in their giving, the gifts to him. And receiving. For Paul, this this was evidence of their eagerness for the gospel and advancing the gospel. First of all, this is going to be a very confusing message, so uh, fasten your seatbelt. We're going to have three points about giving and receiving, and then we're going to finish with a brief point about the power of the gospel, and hopefully you'll be able to follow along. Number one, three points about giving and receiving. Number one, financial support in a local church is taught in Scripture. That's why churches do this. It's taught in Scripture. And our text is an example. Verse 15, you Philippians yourselves know 
that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. So he's looking back over the history of their partnership. They know about this, of course, but he's reviewing it. And, and one important aspect is their giving. They are actually a wonderful example, maybe the example of sacrificial giving in all of the Bible. And it's an important aspect of their partnership. They know about this. They know about the history, but he wants to encourage them. So he is walking through some of the details of their support. He values it. He is saying, I will never forget. I will never forget. I will always treasure the memory of your partnership, of your giving, of your help. I will never forget. And I, I just think a good application for us today is to think about someone that's invested in you, whether they're a part of this church or not, spiritually, someone that's invested in you, write them a note. Write, never forget. And write them a note today. Drop them a note, an email, a text. Give them a phone call and thank them. Tell them you remember and I will never forget. You Philippians, he says in verse 15, that he names them. You Philippians. Oh, it was an endearing way to communicate to them. He's communicating his affection. He's showing that you Philippians. He's showing them his respect for the first readers of this letter. They are his partners in the gospel. And he is saying to them, I remember, I remember your partnership. I remember your giving. I remember the gifts. It's not just what Epaphroditus just brought. There's a whole history here. In the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, they immediately became his partners. They heard the gospel and they immediately were eager to support his gospel ministry. In 2 Corinthians 11, he writes to the Corinthians, Paul write, writes to the Corinthians, he says, when I was with you and was in need, I didn't burden anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia, that's the Philippians, supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. He received support from the Philippians after he had left Macedonia. He's in Corinth. He received support from them so that he did not have to have support from the Corinthians who were not eager to support him. Can you imagine what a gift that was? No church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you Philippians only. It was exceptional. And, and note the, the partnership terminology. He has a unique relationship with this church. They were partners with him. They shared his troubles. They shared gospel ministry. They supported 
the Apostle Paul. It was a matter of giving and receiving. That is, that is first century business language. This is a receipt. This is a receipt. He's sending them a receipt. There, there, there is a, a debit and a credit, and he's communicating this. There's a financial dimension to this gospel partnership. Giving and receiving is a reference to some sort of financial transaction or a gift or a service. And now Paul says, because of their giving, he's abundantly supplied. He has plenty. He's received plenty. It's, it's far more than financial, as, as we'll see, but it is financial. Financial support in a local church is taught in Scripture. And he, he points to the beginning of the gospel because of the foundation and motivation for their partnership, for their giving, is spiritual. Their, their partnership is not just a financial partnership. It's not just a commercial relationship. These are his friends, and they are giving to advance the gospel, and it brings him true joy. Verse 16, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again, even as he just, he's still in Macedonia, he just left Philippi immediately and frequently, once and again, they gave to him, they supported him, they partnered with him. That's the history of their partnership. Point number two, God rewards obedience. Paul wants them to know that God rewards obedience, that there is going to be fruit that increases to their account. God gives finances. God gives material things to givers so that they can give. Verse 17, not that I seek the gift. He has to say that because it can be misunderstood, especially, I believe, today. Not that I seek the gift. This is hard to believe, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. He's not, remember we talked about this last week, he isn't seeking their gifts out of some self-interest. This is not about Paul wanting to prosper personally. Verse 11, not that I am speaking of being in need. Verse 17, not that I seek the gift. Remember, not that, not that. That's not why I'm saying this. He's not scheming for personal benefit. His great concern is not the gift for him, but what they're giving represented. They love the gospel. They want to advance the gospel. They love the Apostle Paul. He brought the gospel to them. That's what this gift represents. He has a spiritual relationship with these people. They have a spiritual relationship to God. That's what's going on here. And he's saying God's going to reward you. God rewards obedience. And Paul's confident, even in this matter of giving and receiving, that God's going to reward the Philippians. It's going to be for their benefit. As he taught the Corinthians about giving, he's trying to serve that church, which is very different than this church. He's teaching them about 
giving, he used the Philippians as an example to motivate them to give. Why can't you be like the Philippians? He told them, 2 Corinthians 9, He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And the Philippians were examples of this. Paul wants them to know that the Lord rewards sacrificial givers. He held them up to the Corinthians as an example of this. Now he's telling them, you will reap. Fruit will increase to your credit. Jesus himself said, give and it'll be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. It'll be put into your lap for the measure you use will be measured back to you. So sparingly, reap sparingly. So bountifully, reap bountifully. That's what Jesus taught. And God rewards those who are obedient in this area. Now, sadly, we have to qualify this because some people do seek the gift. The true gospel is not about getting health, wealth, and prosperity. It's clear from our study of Philippians, a major theme is suffering. Paul's in prison. There's a so-called American gospel, though, that is a false gospel. And I want you to hear the Apostle Paul today saying, not that. <laughs> not that. Many years ago, I took my two oldest boys to a church in town to hear a famous preacher. Crowd was so large, we weren't able to get into the auditorium. We ended up in an overflow seating area. Kind of story of my life. <laughs> Just There was a video feed. I thought, oh well. Just going to watch TV. But before the, the meeting began, the famous preacher walked into the overflow section first. Before he even went out to the main auditorium. He came to us, he looked at everybody in there and said, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Think about that statement, it's cringeworthy. I, I don't think I've ever, I, I know I've never seen any, I've never seen a suit like that. I've never seen anyone dress nicer than this guy. He pulls out an alligator skin pocketbook and said, you know, who drove the farthest? Went down the list, starts handing out $100 bills based on how far you'd driven. Unfortunately, we hadn't driven very far. <laughs> he was fabulously wealthy. Fabulously. And he got wealthy by seeking the gift. He was a salesman. And he was sell selling an American gospel. <laughs> he sold, sold a false gospel for personal profit. Within a few years, he was exposed as a fraud. Now, this is not about what goes on today in social media where you have false accusations and innocent people. Their reputation is ruined because some guy's in his basement on the computer slandering and gossiping. This, this man was a fraud. This, this, this isn't just some 
negative information that wasn't proven. His ministry was a scam to get rich, and it was proven. He's been married three times. He is not a true minister of the gospel. I will say this about our pastoral team. We're not the most gifted guys in the world, but we only have one wife. <laughs> Something to be said for that. Tend to keep it that way too, yeah. Yeah. The Bible doesn't promise that if you give, God's going to make you rich. He isn't a vending machine. But with that said, our, our text does promise that God rewards obedience. I don't want this promise to be taken from us because it's been abused. God provides for givers, for the advancement of the gospel. We're called to partner. We're called to give and receive for the glory of God. Verse 19 is a staggering promise. Look, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. It's comprehensive. It's unqualified. My God, Paul says, his God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. This is the Apostle Paul. It, it means that under the care of a sovereign, omnipotent God, nothing will ever outstrip his ability and his commitment to provide what we need to partner together for the advancement of the gospel. It's our calling. Paul can't give back to the Philippians. He's chained in a Roman prison. But God enters the picture and it changes the dynamics. God can answer Paul's prayers. God can provide more than enough so that they are abundantly supplied. And he told the Corinthians, they gave beyond their ability. How do you do that? Same way you feed 5,000 with a few fish and a couple loaves. Paul's, experience, Paul's experience of God's care for his needs gives him confidence that he can assure these Philippians, the Lord's going to care for your needs. My God is your God. He will supply for them. Suffering will come. It's an unavoidable consequence of serving Christ and living in a fallen world. But you'll experience God's care. He'll supply every need of yours. Walter Hansen, commentator, says, The gospel of Jesus Christ does not promise the absence of suffering, but it does promise the presence of the God of peace in suffering. My God will be with you. My God will take care of your material needs. Paul promises his friends in Philippi. And I think his readers today, I think that's a promise for us. I drove this morning in a car, and how I got that car is very complicated. I think it was my sovereign God providing and caring for me and my family. 
I think it's God's blessing. If you saw it, you might not think that. It's a 2005 model Honda Accord. Has about 200,000 miles on it. It's got standard transmission. It's got a few issues. So you might not immediately think, wow, the Lord really blessed you, but I believe he did. One of my sons gave this car to his sister. When she moved to California, her and her husband didn't think it was wise to try to drive it out there because it wouldn't have made it. They were going to sell it, and I thought, gee, that's not very much. So I kind of joked around about buying it, and they wanted to give it to me, which I couldn't do. I wouldn't let them do that, but I mostly I just didn't need a, I've got a car. I've got two, two other cars, much like they're, they're all kind of the same kind of car. <laughs> I really didn't want a third car. But I decided to buy it. And I immediately had buyer's remorse. The, the issues were apparent. It almost rolled down a hill and was over on the first day because the emergency brake didn't work and it's a standard transmission. It you couldn't see out the back because the headliner was falling down. And you had to get in through the passenger door and then crawl over the console to get in the driver's seat. And it had some engine problems. But I was able to get some of this fixed. And then, un unbeknownst to me, my other car has 265,000 miles on it. And it's a truck and has engine problems. And and, and gas prices started going up, and it gets the same amount of gas mileage as the new SpaceX Dragon spaceship. <laughs> and so this little car, the one thing going for it is it's a four-cylinder. It gets 30 miles to a gallon. I'm, I'm really grateful for that. And the, other, the, the truck suddenly had major engine problems. I didn't know any of this was going to happen. And now I am so thankful for this car. Every time I get in it, I'm like, wow, I, I didn't want this car. I wasn't going to buy this car. It just fell in my lap. And now I really need it. And it has air conditioning. I haven't had air conditioning in years. <laughs> I, I tell you that I could, I could bring up so many people in this church. We could tell one story like this after another. Just little things like that, and that may not mean much to you, but I thank God for my car. I think it's God supplying my needs. My God will supply every need of yours, and he does. Financially, if we need a car, he provides a car. If we need the things we need, the Lord provides But he, he provides something much more than that. He provides what we need to grow spiritually. And in Paul's mind, that's primary. Fruit increases to their account. It, it includes things like, he, he wants them to have the mind of Christ. Remember that? He, he wants them to consider others more important than themselves. He wants them to know Christ. He wants them to pursue Christ and win the goal of Christ, my God will supply all your needs so that these things happen. And he will supply them 
according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He will supply according to his riches. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, this is the gospel. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. It's the gospel. So that you by his poverty might become rich. He will supply everything you need according to his riches. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Walter Hansen again, the glorious riches of God provide the basis for understanding Paul's confidence that God will fulfill his promise to meet all our needs, not with a stingy, meager pittance, but with a lavish, abundant provision befitting the limitless wealth of God. That's, that's the gospel. Amen. Third point, giving is an act of worship. Our giving in our local church is an expression of our worship of God. I've received, verse 18, I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied. I'm not seeking the gift. Having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, the gifts you sent are a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable, pleasing to God. Always remember this. If you, if you give online this Wednesday, as you do, remember, it's a fragrant offering. It's an acceptable sacrifice. It's something God is pleased with. Give that offering with an attitude of worship. Say, Lord, I, I'm giving this to my local church I am partnering with my local church, with the members of the church for the advancement of the gospel, but it's an expression of my love for you. It's an expression of my trust in you. And one brief point about the, the power of the gospel. The gospel is powerful. Why is Paul in prison? It all started back in Jerusalem. He's before the Sanhedrin. A great argument erupts. Roman official wants to know what's going on. He takes him away. And then immediately after that, Luke records in Acts 23, the following night, the Lord stood by the Apostle Paul and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. And here in verse 22, Paul says, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The Lord told him, way back in Jerusalem, you're going to Rome and you're going to testify. You're going to tell them the gospel. You're going to preach the gospel in Rome. Paul's having trouble preaching the gospel in Jerusalem. But now, he's in chains, he's in prison, but members of Caesar's household 
have come to Christ. What we see in verse 22 is Christ challenging Caesar in his own home. This, the significance of this would not have been lost on the citizens of a Roman colony in Philippi. They were patriots. They were deeply loyal to Caesar. That got their attention in a way it doesn't normally get ours. You have brothers and sisters in Christ in Caesar's household. They're saying, hey, we're praying for you. We're in your family. They're in the inner circle of the Roman emperor. And they know the Philippians and they pray for them. D.A. Carson says, Paul smiles, enjoying the irony. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. Paul may be in prison at Caesar's pleasure, but the gospel has penetrated Caesar's household. It is important to remember who is finally in charge and how he works. Glorify God through gospel partnership in the church. Verse 20, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Father, thank you this morning for the gospel. Thanks for the good news about Christ. What a joy it is, Lord, this morning to celebrate communion. Be reminded of our covenant with you, our relationship with you, based on the finished work of Christ. Fathers, we enter this Easter season, Lord. Give us fresh joy for our Savior who's been raised from the dead and is seated at your right hand. Lord, give us fresh faith for the good news about this Savior. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message given by Bill Kittrell during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.